All right, hello and welcome back to another quarantine edition of Take to Take. Joined once again alongside Luke Burrows and Nick Robinson. Gentlemen, howdy. Hello. Hello. Good to see you guys again. In our last episode, we touched on, reflected on some NHL predictions that we had. Some good, some bad. And mostly bad. Mostly, mostly bad. bad. Mostly bad. And uh, made our predictions for the NHL return to play. Uh, which is finally back. We finally have had a handful of games in to sort of look back and see um, which predictions are hopefully going to become true for us and how the NHL has done as a whole during um, COVID-19. But we're going to start off by going into one of the more contentious issues around not just hockey, but um, basically all the world right now. And that is the uh, BLM protest. Uh, for those of you who don't know, we, don't, we shouldn't have to go into detail, but it sparked a lot of controversy, more controversy than, than is probably needed um, in the NHL and elsewhere, uh, starting with the Matt Dumba speech to talk about his experiences as an African-American NHL player. Um, and that's led to him kneeling and some other players kneeling. So let's get your thoughts on that. And um, yeah. Specifically, I thought the, uh, the, the Dumba speech was awesome. I, I was totally unexpected. Um, I like, I did not expect to see Dumba at a, the Winnipeg Cal, Cal, that was, yeah, Winnipeg Calgary game. But, and then afterwards hearing that it was, um, that he wrote that and memorized it himself. Like that's, that was just, that was so well done. He, he nailed that. Um, that was like really powerful to watch. And then I guess I got, he kneeled and then today, um, uh, like just a, like an hour ago or whatever, at the beginning of the Dallas game, is that correct? Yep. Yep. Um, some more, there's some more kneeling during the anthem. So I think it's, uh, it's moving in the right direction, but I mean, the NHL has been, they've been doing some stuff, uh, all weekend, even in the, uh, in the exhibition games, I think too. And I think, yeah, there's progress for sure, but there's still steps to go. So it's, it's good to see. And I, th I think that Dumba speech really hit home for a lot of people that was really moving. So just yeah. real, uh, one, just real quick for those who don't know, Robin Leonard, Tyler Sagan, uh, Jason Dickinson, and, they kneeled with Ryan Reeves prior to the, the Stars uh, uh, Vegas game. Go ahead, Nick. Yeah, no, that was just a few minutes ago. I was actually just about to touch on that. Like you said, Luke, the Matt Dumba speech and everything that came with it was really unexpected, really came out of nowhere. I just sat down to watch the Chicago Edmonton game. I was really surprised when he came out there. But I think overall so far, the NHL is doing a good job of promoting the Hockey Diversity Alliance and the players that are aligned with it. Um, it's a little... We wanted to see this sooner from the NHL, but I think it's a good thing that they're doing it now and they're really starting to step up more and try and cover more of the social issues that are happening in the United States, especially and across the entire world right now. So yeah, it's good to see uh, some of the Vegas and Dallas players taking a knee with uh, Ryan Reeves. Really good to see Robin Leonard and Tyler Sagan, both players that have sort of had some iffy opinions, comments in the past, things that have been questioned by people in the media. But I think they're showing right now that they are proof that people can change. Anybody and everybody can change for the better. And I'm really happy to see that at least somebody is doing something meaningful for this cause. Yeah, I think it's about time for the NHL. We've talked about it endlessly, how they're notorious for being one of the more uh, conservative white sports. And it seemed that a lot of fans were pissed off and are still kind of pissed off with the NHL's response to it. Um, I think they've done a fantastic job starting to uh, open up about these social issues. Um, obviously, people can always do more, and I'm sure the NHL is looking to do more, um, which brings me to the next topic about or within this. Um, 
there's a lot of controversy about this on Twitter, specifically Eric Trump tweeting, um, uh, I don't remember what the tweet was, but just talking, he said, thank you NHL, because they were all standing or, or something, something along those lines, um, being appreciative of the players for standing. That obviously, as if hockey Twitter isn't insane enough, sparked a bunch of debates. Um, your thoughts on that? The, I mean, the tweet itself was a bit, I, that was unexpected too. I didn't think, um, I didn't think that was, I, I didn't see that coming at all. But yeah, I mean, the tweet and kind of what, what comes along with it was a bit jarring in a sense. Uh, and the replies too were just disgusting. But I think um, obviously the NHL can't like directly respond to that. Uh, but I, I think, what they have been doing is is kind of an inadvertent response and then obviously seeing people uh players starting to kneel is is moving in the right direction for sure so nick just before we get to you do you think that people should still be upset with the nhl and their response or specific players we saw matt dumba raise a fist last night before the canucks game um initially when he was kneeling darnell nurse and malcolm suban were not kneeling um do you think there's more they can do uh, or do you think this is enough for uh, how, how much more should they do? I think for anybody, there's always more that people can be doing in these situations, especially I've been really disappointed with the Minnesota wild, especially with what's going on in the state, especially or specifically there. I'm really disappointed to see that Matt Dumba has been the only one that has stepped up and put in some sort of peaceful protest or made some sort of statement about the issues I think it's just that entire Patrick, we talked about it a few weeks ago in our hockey culture episode. It's just still that atmosphere that surrounds hockey, that really whitewashed aspect of it. It's one of the whiter sports out there, probably the most white sport out there. It's not known for its inclusivity and all that. So I still think the NHL and its players can be doing more. I think people are totally in line to ask the NHL and the players to do more I would like to see more promotion of the Hockey Diversity Alliance. I think so far, some of the features on Sportsnet specifically have been really, really good, really powerful so far. It's been good to see. We're taking steps in the right direction here. I think now the kneel, the kneeling tonight has been a good step. Hopefully we see more of it from more players on other teams. And hopefully it's just a sign of things to come. Um, <clears throat> moving on to, well, still within this issue, um, that brought me to another point. Um, I know Luke and I talked about this earlier, Tuka Rask wearing a Boston police hat on some Zoom interview. Um, I believe it was on Sportsnet. That sparked another debate. Um, what do you guys think of that, either of you? I think he's, in, he's entitled to his opinion, whether, you know, um, whether someone would agree with it or not, he can have his opinion. And whether he was making a statement or not, I mean, in times like this, you can... I mean, you don't want to assume, but you can kind of assume that um, that he was making a statement. But the whole point, I think, of everything happening and happening right now is, I think you you can have you can have an opinion, and you can, I think, you need to welcome that kind of healthy discourse. Um, obviously, there's a lot of uh, instances right now where it's going too far, and it's more than an opinion. Um, but specifically in terms of Rask, just because I don't agree with it, doesn't mean it's it's not an opinion that can be held. So. Okay. Nick. Yeah. Like you said, Luke, everybody's entitled to their own opinion, but I think one thing that we all know is that 
right now the entire Black Lives Matter movement and everything that's going on, especially in the United States and across the world right now, it's such a volatile political and social climate, probably more than I've ever seen it, like in more than it's yeah. ever been in our lifetimes, especially. I think Tuka Rask and anybody who wants to support the police are completely entitled to do that. That's their opinion. That's their beliefs. That's their values. But I think it's just one of the cases where Tuka Rask needs to sort of read the room. And if he wants to yeah. be voicing his support for the police and any other group, he's got to be mindful of what's going on in the world right now. And is this really a time that people should be voicing their support or showing their support for groups such as the police? Because I think it sort of detracts from what movements like Black Lives Matter are trying to accomplish right now when people like Tuka Rask with a large platform are showing images and voicing opinions on the contrary. So I respect Tuka Rask's opinion, his right to have that opinion. But again, it's a case of he needs to read the room. And this is a case where he knows, or he should know at least, that it's going to get a lot of backlash. Yeah, I agree yeah, I with that. Think, I think I would agree with both of you. I think the thing with Tuka Rask is that's a, it's pretty tone deaf. You know what you're doing when you put on a Boston a police hat or, or any uh, back the blue or whatever hashtag is going around in support of the police. Um, so that was pretty tone deaf. The only thing I will say, not to play devil's advocate, but um, with the Boston bombing, with Boston Strong, there has been a much more vocal support for their police uh, for how they've dealt with that. That could be the only reason. I don't agree with it. I wouldn't have done it. I don't think he should have done it. Um, but I do know that Boston's support of their police, um, Boston Strong hashtag following the bombing, has held on to this day. Um, I don't agree with it. I don't agree that he, I don't think he should have done it. But like you, like you both said, um, he does have the right to do it. And I think completely ostracizing someone because of that, I don't think that's, uh, like there were, there were some nasty comments underneath that and, you know, death threats and et cetera, et cetera. So that's the kind of stuff that I think has no room for it. Uh, just because someone has a different opinion, like I said, I don't agree with it, but it is his right. I think in this case, uh, specifically with Rask, I think just what he did, just wearing a hat in an interview that was about hockey, um, wearing a hat that made a statement, uh, he didn't kind of explain himself. And I think that leaves a lot of room for people to, kind of infer and explore what that means so I think maybe in Rask's case maybe kind of elaborating on what his intentions were yep. with with that would have helped uh, yep. obviously he didn't so that's maybe why we're having this discussion but um, something like that like reasoning like that should maybe you know I think it could carry over to a lot of other cases too so. yeah and that's similar to what happened in 2010 uh, when Tim Thomas refused to go to the White House. He just said, I'm not going. And people sort of conflated that with, well, he must be a racist person. And then later on, a couple of weeks later, he was able to elaborate and just said, uh, I don't, I support the rest of the team's right to go. I just personally don't want to. Um, I doubt Tuka Rask is going to come through with a statement, especially in the midst of the playoffs. Um, but I just want to touch on that and get your guys' opinion. Nick, do you have anything else to say? Uh, no, other than the fact that, again, it's his right to voice his opinion. But uh, it's one of those cases, again, like you said, Patrick, perfectly, it's tone deaf. And hopefully we see more attention on the issue at hand, which is the right for black lives to matter and all that. All right. So moving on to another thing the NHL has done a fantastic job with, and I'm continuing 
continuing to be impressed. Um, that's the return to play, all of it. Um, we've finally gotten the chance to see how the games would play out. We saw the exhibition games. Um, the intensity is there. The players are loving it. Um, about four hours ago, the NHL released a statement, still zero COVID cases. Um, you look at something the way the MLB has been going. Um, the NHL has, without a doubt, done the best job at handling this pandemic. Um, the games are intense. They have the, the fake noise. They have the music. Um, great job. What do you guys think? I love it. I, I think they've absolutely nailed it. I like, and in all aspects of, of the return to play plan, I think, um, <clears throat> specifically COVID wise, like no, no positive cases when they went into the bubble. And then today after a week, I think no positive cases still the NBA too, though, which is, um, well, in a different sense is, is good too. But, and then, uh, presentation wise, it looks awesome. Like the, the arenas and the broadcasts look great. Um, yeah, the players, the, like the intensity is clearly there. I will say uh, a few games, I think on Saturday, watching them, it looked a bit uh, scrambly. Um, mm-hmm. I know the Arizona-Nashville game yesterday was, you know, maybe not the best quality. I don't know what that what that uh, is owed to, but um, I thought the Colorado game was really good. I thought the Toronto game was really good. Um, I think it'll get there, and I, yeah, I, I have no issues with how the NHL has handled this, and I think most people would agree um, it's gone really well so far. Yeah, generally, I think uh, a lot of the hockey has been really good. I think it all looks really good, like you said, Luke. The uh, the tarps and the stands covering the seats in both Rogers Arena and Scotiabank Arena look really good. Uh, the massive screens in the stands, too, was a really nice touch as well. So the NHL has done well with what they've been afforded in this entire case. I would like to see more of, I don't know if you guys have seen it, uh, Kazimir Kaskisuo of the Toronto Maple Leafs has been doing a vlog inside of the bubble. Like, I would like to see more inside the bubble content because a lot of that I think is really cool. And I think some of these stories will be things that we'd like to hear about in year, for years and years and years when we remember exactly what this season was and what this time period was like. I would like to see more in the bubble content. But generally, when it comes to the on-the-ice stuff, the hockey's been really good, and it looks really good. No positive COVID tests over the last two periods, so it's been really good steps forward here from the NHL. There should be no more positive cases, fingers crossed, that we don't end up in a situation like the MLB, but everything's been really good so far. I've been really impressed. Yeah, I think um, it almost begs the question because I think when we when Gary Bettman released the plan live on Sportsnet of how it was going to play out, a lot of people – pretty curious and we're frustrated with with the layout um and looking at it now seeing as it's actually happening we can look at into the nhl did a great job but at least the nhl was one of the first to make a decision and finalize it they didn't really change anything up too much um which kind of begs another question that i've seen a lot of people on twitter a lot of people thought that this series that the players wouldn't be into it more players would opt out i i I know i thought a lot of players would opt out of the opportunity to play um, for their own health they thought that the play wouldn't be engaging, especially without the fans. They thought the players would mail it in. And we're seeing the complete opposite. And I think the fact that because it's COVID, because there are no fans, they have something to prove. Uh, they want to go as long as they can. Because when this playoff, when the COVID Cup, whatever you want to call it, when that's done, they don't know when the regular season is going to start up again. They don't know what could happen with the pandemic. They know that now that they're in the bubble, they're going to give it all. So I think it sort of shifted the narrative from people who actually thought, 
players aren't going to be into it. It's going to be slow, dull, boring hockey. It's actually been the opposite. And this is some of the best hockey I've been able to watch uh, in quite some time. What do you guys think? Yeah, for a lot of players, this may be one of the best shots they ever have at a Stanley Cup because everything's so – it feels really wide open right now. So I think we're seeing that on the ice, and I think we're going to continue to see it. I don't think anybody's going to mail it in. And even though a lot of these teams may have some eyes on the lottery still, I'm sure we're going to get into that. But everybody doesn't look like they're mailing it in. Everybody seems like they want to win, which is, from a stand, fan standpoint, neutral standpoint, like myself, that's what you want to see. You good there, Luke? Yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, I agree. I like. I think you do have to understand that it's very wide open and it's it's a very different situation. So I um, like it's it's not the usual playoffs, and for better or for worse, uh, it, it's a very different format. So it's a very different road to the Stanley Cup. But regardless, like the players are clearly into it. I, it doesn't take anything away from it. Um, but I just think I think. It's a, it's, it's a lot more fun, maybe because of the novelty of it, but watching a 24-team tournament, it's going to take place over months. two months yeah. is pretty awesome. So, yeah, like I think, I think everyone's on board for sure. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. I remember I, I wasn't thinking there would be any fights or big hits, but I was, <clears throat> once again, proven wrong. There's already been like four or five fights. Um, a lot of games were chippy. Uh, the Vancouver-Minnesota uh, game I watched last night, that was another chippy one. Um, Moving on to within that, we're not going to touch on every single series since there are games tonight. There's a Habs game that I have to watch in about uh, 35 minutes. Anyway, we can touch on some series. And I do think, not just because I'm a Habs fan, we should touch on the Montreal Canadiens-Pittsburgh Penguins series. Real quick, they're up one nothing. Nick Suzuki, Esprit Kakaniemi getting the goals. Petrie, the OT winner. I said it could be done. I don't want it to be done. But I still think they would do it. Carey Price looks good. Do you think they can win the series? Well, if Carey Price continues to play like he did in the first game, I think there's absolutely no reason why Montreal could do it. Evgeny Malkin had a brilliant start to the first game, but just couldn't buy a goal. I'm pretty sure Sidney Crosby got in on one of the goals. So obviously Pittsburgh's uh, big giants there. If they wake up, they can certainly turn the tide here and probably grind out the three wins that Pittsburgh will need. But so far for Montreal, if they continue to get the good goaltending, the timely goal scoring from players like Kakanyemi and Suzuki, who they are going to need that sort of secondary scoring, then there's absolutely no reason why the Montreal Canadiens couldn't defeat the Pittsburgh Penguins. Luke, Pat, I feel bad for you because your team is is in the play. Well, they're in the they're in the postseason. They're up one nothing on the Penguins, and you're still cheering against them. I if I were you. I, th- I if I were you, I would have never cheered against them. But I think now that Montreal's up one nothing and they've shown that they can do it, I would I would maybe hop back on hop back on your old your old team and and support them because I I think like like I said, this is a this is going to be a super fun tournament and every team has a shot. So yeah. Montreal included, clearly because they just beat Pittsburgh like a healthy was, Pittsburgh team. I was so conflicted during the game. When Montreal scored, I wasn't I was I wasn't happy or mad. And when Pittsburgh scored, I wasn't happy or mad. And then when Petrie got the OT winner, I was like pissed off, but then happy. And it's like I'm so unbelievably conflicted right now. I don't know what to do. Um, what I have decided that if Montreal wins this series, I will cheer for them as hard as I ever have. Right now, I'm just gonna accept whatever happens. If they win, great. If they lose. 
great. And that's I think a lot of, I think a lot of fans in the plant, like myself include, well, I'd rather them win, but I think, yeah, if Vancouver loses, I'm like, okay, there's the chance at number one overall, but like, I, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even consider vote like cheering against my own, my own team as like, especially maybe like in your shoes, if Montreal lost the first, if they'd been walloped in the first game, you know, that's kind of fair, especially because Montreal being the lowest seed, but um, like, I I, I don't know after they beat Pittsburgh and Vancouver lost to Minnesota, but I'm still like, I was very upset last night that Vancouver lost and I'm still going to cheer for them tomorrow. Right. Well, we'll, we'll touch on that. There's one more, one more uh, team, two teams, one series I want to touch on in the East before we move on. Great points, by the way, uh, Luke, that is the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Columbus Blue Jackets. Can we make fun of Toronto for about five minutes here? Um, we all watched the game last night. The Leafs looked yep. terrible. Columbus yep. didn't look that good. The I don't think the Leafs look terrible. Um, definitely some room for some areas for improvement. Uh, I thought Anderson was – I don't think he was bad. I don't think he was good. Really? Okay. Yeah. Um, I, thought, I thought he was okay. And I, I see a lot of parallels between the Toronto-Columbus game and the Vancouver-Minnesota game. I think both Toronto and Vancouver are the uh, the faster, more offensive teams. But Toronto, or, but Columbus and Minnesota did so well at shutting them down. Um, Staylock and uh, Corbisalo um were in like like columbus especially they just i i I don't think there's any nitpicking well of course there is because it's toronto and it's toronto media but i don't know how much of that nitpicking is deserved because i i thought toronto had a pretty okay game uh yeah there's some there's some millionaires that maybe should be doing a bit more than they are but i don't think it's ever any cause for concern yeah with toronto it's really interesting because i don't think they played that poorly either I know, Pat, you said Columbus didn't look that good right in your opening introduction there, but I think Columbus by design, I haven't watched that many Columbus Blue Jackets games this year, but based on what the scouting reports on them have been, that's exactly what they want. They're a systematically well-structured team. They rely heavily on their shutdown defensemen to keep the other guy other team's top guys off the board which happened last night Seth Jones was absolutely brilliant all night long at shutting down Toronto's top weapons Zach Wierenski looked really good too um and Columbus does a decent job of clogging up the center of the ice and forcing Toronto a lot last night to sort of have to rely on getting shots through from the point or perimeter type shots I think that's exactly what Columbus going to want a game like last night with how Toronto played plays exactly into what Columbus wants. So I think as long as Columbus continues to get the goaltending, there's absolutely no reason why they should pull us off. And to Luke, what you said, Frederick Anderson, I thought looked really good last night too. I thought both goaltenders were great, except for the fact that Frederick Anderson made one mistake the entire game and it ended up costing his team the game. Really? Um, I think for Toronto, they need, Obviously, if you watched the game last night, they need more out of Marner and need more out of Tavares. Austin Matthews and William Nylander both looked fine all night, but obviously you need that timely goal scoring. They need more from their depth guys as well because I think that's the one area where they really have the chance to steamroll Columbus in terms of depth. Toronto's a much deeper team, so they're going to need all that offensive pressure to eventually just boil over into goals. Let me rephrase. I thought – I okay – 
I don't think Toronto looked terrible. I just don't think they obviously weren't as good as they could have been. And as right. for Columbus, I don't think um, because they came out on top, I don't think the play was that different between the two. I think Columbus came on top with a win, but I don't think it was, it was that uh, there was that much disparity between the two teams. Toronto, obviously, as far as Frederick Anderson goes, um, that's a stoppable puck from Cam Atkinson. That stuff happens to every single goalie. But even just other, other saves he made, he looked a little shaky and a little wonky. But we also know that Frederick Anderson does get hot in the playoffs. He has gotten hot in the playoffs before um, against Washington, uh, Washington and against Boston before. So I think he'll pick up his game. And um, again, as a Habs fan, I'm conflicted about Toronto if, they want to, if I want them to win or not. But um, I think one of Toronto's issues, uh, and it was on like it was on full display last night, is that they rely so much on their star players to perform well, and it's a it's a fair thing to rely on. Uh, it's a fair thing to assume, you know, Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner are gonna are gonna play well and produce, but when they don't, I think I think it looks like what happened last night. Whereas uh, in Columbus's case, you know, they don't have an Austin Matthews to rely on like that. And they are forced to play um, to play a system. I mean, obviously, every team plays a system, but Columbus relies on their system, and Toronto relies more on their Austin Matthews. So, um, like Nick said, I think Toronto played right into what Columbus was expecting. Uh, Columbus was m- almost definitely um, working on on targeting those star players and they did all, they clearly did a really good job. And I think Toronto has some things to, to really change before game two or else I think it's going to be like that for the rest of the series. Yeah. I think one thing I just want to quickly say, I know we probably all don't watch him much, but I thought Pierre-Luc Dubois was the best player on the ice last night for both teams. Man, was he impressive? Like I thought he was great. Both ends of the ice looked really good. Yeah, I agree. Um, Pierre Luc Dubois, one of my favorite players in the league. I thought he was fantastic. He is tough to knock off bucks. Seth Jones, another one as well. And you touched on Zach Berensky as well. Moving uh, over to the West, there's only one series I think we should touch on, and that was seeing as there is a Vancouver Canucks fan in on the show. The uh, yep, you got it. The uh, Vancouver Canucks Minnesota Wild game. Um, Nick and I have been adamant about this and Minnesota's strong play down the stretch. Kevin Fiala, Jonas Brodin, um, they have, they're one of the best defensive teams in all of hockey and they proved it last night. Vancouver was a little bit of a mess. I, I don't, again, I don't, aside from like the first half of the first period, uh, yeah, Vancouver was pretty scrambly. After that, they looked okay. But just like I said about the, the Blue Jackets-Leafs game, um, to a lesser extent, I'm, I'm not comparing, you know, uh, Vancouver stars to what Toronto has, but, uh, I don't think Minnesota, um, has that, has, has that same individual reliability. Uh, they, they definitely have some guys, but Minnesota just shut down everything Vancouver had. I like, there were points in the game where I was thinking, when was the last time Vancouver even set up and in Minnesota's end, they just played, and then Staloc as well, as I said, uh, played really well, which worries me for the rest of the series. But Markstrom, I didn't think he had a terrible game. Uh, let in two goals. The first one probably should have had, similar to uh, Anderson's. The second one, I don't blame him. It, uh, I think Edler, the defense there, should have had it low. Markstrom should have had it high, and it it just it it was it 
didn't work out. Um, but I'm, it's not like I, I finished watching the game last night and I just thought, wow, like Vancouver is going to lose and it's going to be their fault. I think Minnesota played really well. And, um, and I, and I, and I think that's exactly what, what they're intending to do, shut down Patterson Miller. And uh, so I don't know. I'm, I don't really know what to expect for tomorrow. Yeah, in our preview episode, we sort of talked a lot about the impact that Kevin Fiala could have on the series, obviously being one of the best players in the NHL overall down the stretch of the season, and uh, comes up with the first goal last night, and he looked like he was flying all night long, like he had a great game last night. Luke, much thoughts on Kevin Fiala and how he did? Uh, Like... Obviously, in the in the weeks leading up to when the series started, I, I've heard a lot about Kevin Fiala, probably more than I would have liked to. Uh, I know he's a good player, but I don't I don't think that's like that's the X factor in the series. I think Vancouver can easily combat um, that level of offense. They didn't last night, but I don't know. I think I think Green uh, Travis Green has some decisions to make for Game Two. Uh, Vertanen wasn't playing. Uh, he had an awesome year this year, but clearly there's something going on personnel-wise there. Uh, Zach McEwen wasn't playing. I'd like to see Pedersen, Besser, Miller back together for game two. So I don't know. Um, I don't know. Like, yeah. I, hey, Minnesota there's a few just, more games. You got time to figure it out. It's it's scary. Like a best of five, though. It's, it's scary. It's, yeah, it's not it's as scary. long. It's not as long, right? You can't make as many mistakes. That's the fun part about all this as yeah. a neutral. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Nick. Nick is Nick can be the most objective through all this when uh, Luke and I start freaking out. I will say about Vancouver, for all the talk and criticism they get about not having enough enough depth, it just has to come down to their offensive pieces. Um, JT Miller has three goals in like 62 playoff games. He needs to be much better. I didn't like his game that much last night. Um, Quinn Hughes, I thought was okay, but he wasn't the regular season Quinn Hughes we saw. Um, I thought Brock Besser looked good, but you have guys like uh, like Godet and hopefully Vertanen if he ends up playing again um i thought edler looked pretty solid so if they can sort of pick up their offensive game that we saw um during the regular season i think i think they'll fare well but again it's really hard to counter minnesota's defensive system brodine dumba Suter. like it's going to be yeah. tough so, all right moving on to another incident between two players that is matthew kachuk and mark shifley they collided um i believe mark shifley almost cut his achilles yeah i don't think we've got an actual word yet on what the extent of the injury is Okay, the assumption was that he cut something. Um, to me, it was completely accidental. Yeah. I don't think Matthew Kachuk intended to do that. I think people are putting the blame on Matthew Kachuk because it's Matthew Kachuk and he plays a more aggressive style. Paul Maurice was livid. He said it was the dirtiest play he's seen. It was intentional. And from the feed that we were looking at, it didn't look intentional, but the blue line feed, if we zoom in, um, it seemed a little hyperbolic to me and it seemed like a bit of a stretch. Do you guys think it was intentional, or are we? I I don't like I don't blame Maurice for saying that. Like the coach, when you're like your star player gets hurt, and it looks like it was a player on player yeah injury, so it's a fair assumption that Kachuk would be responsible. But I think if you look, and I'm I'm sh- I would hope that if Maurice looked at it, and I'm assuming he has looked at it, he would agree. Okay, yeah, he didn't mean to do that. I don't blame Maurice in the heat of the moment after the game for saying that. Uh, it was probably a bit much, but yeah, there's no way Kachuk meant to do that. Like, not a chance. Yeah, it's again, it's one of those casual hockey plays. Happens a thousand times a game. If you didn't see the play, it's just Matthew Kachuk went in sort of for a hit, and he had the skate up, and unfortunately, it did look like he cut Mark Shifley on the back of his leg. 
really reminiscent of uh, Matt Cook on <laughs> Eric Carlson back in 2013. That was intentional. I don't think. I don't think this one was. But yeah, yeah, again, that one was heavily debated at the time. Eugene Melnick famously. Do you think that was intentional, Nick? It, it's so hard to say, but I, that that one I think was a lot more reckless than the Kachuk on Shifley. I think Matt, like yeah. Matt Cook, full on going into the boards, had a lot of time to put his skate down, whereas. Matthew Kachuk was sort of just heat of the moment going in for a hit and open ice. That's, that's pretty much the only extent I can compare those two. But again, it's something that happens so many times in a game. I think for Paul Maurice to suggest that something like that was on purpose, again, it's the difference between Matthew Kachuk being a physical player who is a pest versus a complete psychopath who went and purposely cut somebody with yeah, his that, skate right that that's cook a pretty thing. That was just heavy that's one of the worst things i've seen like ever yeah. that was uh, just brutal i also think the comments from like you said luke as you touched on shifley went down he was squirming immediately it's uncomfortable to watch and i hate seeing players do that um but this also happened when player you have to look at the player itself and we, we see Matt, uh, he plays that style whether or not you like him as a player or not or the whole dowdy thing doesn't matter that's just how he plays and I don't think he is that stupid that he would kick someone or or put his blade there intentionally you know it's one thing to elbow someone in the head as as bad as it sounds um, I don't think that was a thing and I saw that again a lot of people a lot of people uh drew that comparison with uh Ben Sherratt on Sidney Crosby I don't know if you guys saw but Ben Sherratt cross-checked Sidney Crosby and there were a bunch of tweets but well Kadri got was it four games for that uh for in the playoffs against the Boston, was that four games? I don't mm-hmm. remember. Anyway, and first of all, I think that's a foolish comparison because Kadri was a blatant cross check to the head. I think Sherrod uh, brushed up against him. But again, we see that you have to look at the type of player that's doing it. Um, and because Matthew Kachuk tends to play this reckless style, that's the kind of stuff we see. So, any more thoughts on that, or do you guys want to move on? Yeah, again, it happens so many times a game. And I think the big difference here is Matthew Kachuk came out, was clearly like, a little bit, you could tell he was like pretty worried when it happened, uh, when Shifley was being carried off, and he apologized for it uh, during the game. Apologized after the game, has come out and commented on Maurice's comments. Like again, Matthew Kachuk's owning up to this. He has apologized, and I think we've we have to take his word at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. I agree. Okay, so one more thing about Calgary, we want to touch on Nick. I know you wanted to talk about this a little bit more. Is this Calgary's last hurrah, their last run. Obviously, their Kachuk is one of the younger players. We look at someone like Mark Giordano, who I think is like 35. Yeah, he's up there. He's up there in age, like 36, about that. And they're running out of time. Do you think? Do you guys think their window is closing? Is this it? We've seen it talked about. I've seen it like mentioned uh, the odd time in the media throughout the year. I think Elliot Friedman's been the one that's really been on top of that. And uh, more recently doubled down on it, sort of saying this year is probably the last hurrah for this core in Calgary. Again, they've had time to work. Now they've been together since around 2014, 15. Like they've had a good run together and quite obviously just can't get over that hump from a playoff qualifier to perennial contender. And I think it's smart at that point where you're in that rut and there's no way out of it. Instead of going for complete years of mediocrity, like we've seen in teams, sorry, Pat, Montreal, Minnesota, uh, teams, teams of that nature. I think it's good at that point to recognize you get a cash in on these assets and there's an opportunity to do that. And to instead just take the bullet 
and rebuild again. And I think that that would be smart for Calgary at this point because I don't think they're good enough this year to compete with anybody else in the West. They may win this series versus Winnipeg. I don't think they can go much further than that. And quite frankly, I think they can pile up a lot of assets for players like Goudreau and Monaghan and uh, Giordano and sort of build around the Matthew Kachucks of the team. So I think all in all, it's probably not a bad idea. I think somebody like Montreal should definitely be sniffing around Sean Monaghan. But uh, Luke, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. I don't know. I, I think, I think, yeah, Calgary needs to kind of realize uh, what kind of team they are. But if I'm being honest, I don't, I haven't ever seen Calgary as, as a team that when it comes to their last hurrah of the current group, that that's a big deal because this current group, some good players for sure, but they've never really done anything that Yeah, they haven't won anything. So I, and I think that would make it easier. It should make it easier for Calgary to make that decision. It's what they're, what they have right now, what they're building with right now clearly isn't working. So yeah, I, I guess it's a last hurrah, but it's not like it was ever that much. So it's, I don't know. I don't think it should be that big of a deal for them. Yeah. I think, um, I don't think it's talked enough, uh, talked about enough. I think people should start to realize that Calgary is kind of overrated. Um, Goudreau had an underwhelming year. I think Goudreau is better than what he showed this year. Um, Matthew Kachuk's a fantastic player, but he's not your go-to offensive guy. Sam Bennett is someone that I had higher hopes for, especially having the chance to see him in Kingston. Uh, he's been nothing short of a disappointment. Mark Giordano is getting old. So I don't think it's uh, – a lot of people haven't been talking about it, but I do think it's something that they should look into, and that is rebuilding. That is selling off um, assets. So – uh, one other team in the West that I wanted to talk about, and maybe not the team itself, not about how they played, but a tweet about a player on that team, and that is Connor McDavid, um, the best player to ever play. Ever heard, some, maybe not to, uh, <laughs> ever heard of him? Maybe not Adrian Dater, um, who covers the Colorado Av- Avalanche. He tweeted, and I quote, regretting my Oilers pick over Chicago, Connor McDavid, a brilliant talent, but a personality deficient guy. Um, sorry, I think his blandness rubs off too much on teammates. Happy to hear opinions to the contrary, but the fact is he does not. There it is. Now you guys can actually see the tweet itself. Um, he doesn't inspire others. I can think of a million points to the contrary to everything Adrian Dater just said. Uh, which one of you wants to start because this is such a stupid tweet? Yeah, it's, it's a pretty bad take again. Edmonton looked... Uh, horrendous in that opening game versus Chicago. Chicago really took it to them in the first period, especially. But again, can we blame the best player in the NHL for Edmonton's failures? I would say absolutely not because again, Connor McDavid and the Edmonton Oilers are a culmination of many errors from the Peter Shirelli era and some that uh, people can suggest that Ken Holland has made early in his tenure as GM They are a complete mess of mediocrity stapled to one of the greatest hockey talents we have ever seen in the National Hockey League. So to suggest that Connor McDavid is the reason that the Edmonton Oilers can't really seem to do anything, any damage in the playoffs. This is really their only second playoff appearance in the Connor McDavid era. But to suggest that is anywhere near his fault is pretty silly in my opinion. Luke, if you have any thoughts okay. on that. Okay, I think, um, first of all, regardless of who, like I'm looking at this tweet just 
just the tweet itself. I'm not looking at who tweeted it. I don't care. I'm just learning who that guy is. I don't care about that guy or what he's known for. I'm just looking at this tweet. And I do think it's totally, I would never blame Connor McDavid for Edmonton's failures. I think that's absurd. The one thing I will listen to, I'm willing to listen to is, is Connor McDavid kind of, I don't, I don't know what word you want to use, a bland leader, a quiet leader. I'm willing to listen to that because I don't know, I don't know what he's like in the room. I'm, I'm not in the room with, with the Oilers. From what I can tell, he's not the most vocal. He's not the most energetic uh, guy. So I would entertain that idea. But again, definitely not grounds for, for blaming Edmonton's loss. Um, even, even if they lose a series, you, I don't, you, you cannot blame Connor McDavid for that. He's far and away the best player in the league. Uh, but, but saying maybe he's a bit of a, I don't, I don't know what word to use, but a bit of a, a quiet leader. I, I'd, yeah. I'd, I'd listen to that. Yeah, he is a, he's a boring guy. That's not a, that's fine. But if you have to look at a lot of hockey players, not a, there are hardly any hockey players who are, aren't boring. There are a few who are uh, comfortable to be a, a vocal personality and, and, and sort of step out of the box. But even those guys are criticized. It's the hockey norm to be boring and to be like that. Um, I think it's fair to criticize Connor McDavid if his poor play, if he had a terrible game, which happens to the best player in the world, if that play rubbed which off. He did, a- which he did have in the first game for Chicago. He yep. got scored on practically, it felt like, every time he was on the ice. And that's fair if, if you know, Crosby has bad games, Ovechkin has bad games, McDavid has bad games. If their poor play rubs off on their teammates, then by all means. But I think to attribute the poor play and say, well, it's because of his personality, I think is so unbelievably stupid. And I think, um, obviously, as we see here, Chris Weidman tweeted at um, Adrian Dater, and it says the tweet is unbelievable. Uh, yeah, he did take it down. Dater did take it down. Says the tweet is un- uh, unavailable. I was going to say unbelievable. Uh, yeah, <laughs> well, it's pretty unbelievable. unbelievable. <laughs> um, he said wrong. 97 is legit. Yeah, okay. So it sparked a lot, and um, I think, like Luke said, Peter Shirelli, like if you look at – I always look back at this article, uh, Oil on White posted it. It's what, if Peter Shirelli did not touch the team, you would have Hall, Beauvillier, Eberle, uh, Barzal, Cassian. Like, ideally, there could have been other trades, but but you still had your hands on Barzal, Cassian, um, Beauvillier. Uh, uh, so, if you were going to blame anyone, blame the management who, who gave him a, a crappy team. Uh, yeah, and I think if we're going to criticize Connor McDavid for being boring, like, I, I think... Luke, it's not like you said. It's not unfair to suggest that Connor McDavid is a quieter personality. But you look at probably what the Canadians would call the two greatest winners of the of this era: Jonathan Taves and Sidney Crosby. They've won everything there is to win in the game of hockey. And I would hardly, hardly suggest that either of those two are particularly exciting and out there leaders anywhere. Like that are way different nature than what Connor McDavid is, right? So I think if we're going to criticize Connor McDavid's leadership style, I mean, we just have to look around the rest of the NHL. Is he really that different? I think we're just, yeah. you know, we're just taking shots for the sake of taking shots. If that's the kind of it gets comparison clicked, we're going to make with him. It gets a reaction and that's what hockey Twitter is all about. Like, um, right. Yeah. Connor, like he, the guy lives under a microscope. So I think anything, anything he does is going to get criticized, right. obviously. And Connor McDavid is a boring guy. Nick and I talked about um, 
our hockey culture episode, a lot of hockey players didn't speak out. Um, and when they do, they do it. They don't do it in a way that seems genuine, I guess you could say. But anyway, moving on, the last thing we want to touch on briefly was that NHL dress code. Um, I don't believe they're implementing one, seeing as Matthews. The, the yeah, they won't be implementing one for the entire playoffs. Seeing as Matthews around. looks like he's coming from a carnival every time he walks into the rink. Yeah. So that's uh, that picture's been going around. I think it was barred down that posted how much it costs the hat, the shoes, and it was like well over a thousand dollars, something like that. Anyway, do you guys think the dress code's a good thing, a bad thing? What are your thoughts? I I I, I like the lack of dress code. If, if that's what you're asking, um, I like to take shots at Matthews, but no, I I think it's awesome. Uh, it, Pedersen's doing it too. Um, I'm not sure if anyone's seen that because he doesn't get as much attention, but I, I think it's great. I've heard of some teams uh, like within their teams implementing uh, um, guidelines, but I, I've always said like the NBA is awesome. The, uh, the way the players show up to show up to the court. So I I'm, I'm hoping this sticks maybe, or at least some level of this, but at the same time, I do like seeing players show up to the rink in nice suits. Like, but I mean, I guess it's not like they can't still do that. If I was a player, I would hate it though. I think we can all agree with that. If we were NHL hockey players, we'd probably hate it, right? You're showing up in a suit just to, uh, you know, the pain in the ass that is putting on a suit and (laughs) dressing nicely just to get out of it and put on this smelly hockey gear and then you skate around for three hours to take it off, to put on the nice dress socks and pants yeah, again. Yeah. I like, I would hate it if I was a player. I hate dressing up now. I would hate it if I was an NHL player. Here, I'm going to pull up the Austin Matthews outfit. But again, if this is another way for the NHL to finally show some player personality and all that, then I'm all for it. Because I think stuff that we see in the NBA is awesome. Like, I don't know if you guys saw serge ibaka of the toronto raptors and all of his scarfs this year i thought that was awesome and that stuff we just don't get to see in the nhl like i would like to see what brent burns would be wearing right now i'm sure he'd show up in like a hunter suit and like a dragon hat or whatever he'd show up in like hunting gear (laughs) yeah i uh again i like seeing players show up in suits i think it's cool um when they like i know someone like pk suban who goes all out when there's like the winter classic or something gets customized suits and all that stuff. I think it's cool how players prep into that. This stuff I don't really care about. I don't think I'm not dying to see what anyone's outfit is. It's not something I care about. I don't care if someone's wearing Yeezys or Gucci shoes or whatever. Um, but again, it's cool to see them do that. It's not something that I'm. Um, yeah. So it's not, it's not like them doing it, it is, yeah. you know, takes away anything. So yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. Is there anything else we want to talk about? No, I think we're good for today. I think we're good. Uh, I would love to talk some more, though, as we see some more stories unfold in the playoffs because there's a lot happening. This is yep. the, These are exciting times to be a hockey fan, I think. Yep, I was, I was definitely not expecting this many stories. Um, I wasn't expecting a playoff to be this intense. And there's I wasn't to- expecting a playoffs a couple of months ago. So, <laughs> you know what? I will take all this. Exactly. Right. So that's going to do it. Thank you both so much. Uh, once again, we're trying, for those listening, we'll try and be more consistent with the playoffs since there's so many stories developing and we were so deprived of that a couple months ago. We'll try to keep it going. Um, so thank you once again for listening and uh, we'll see you next time.